It's time for Elsa in the Morning. Get your mind right, get motivated, informed, and entertained. Well, hello and happy Tuesday to you. I hope uh, hope this finds you well and not too hungover. If you were uh, completely immature like me, you probably drank a little bit too much in celebration of our independence. Fourth of July, of course, was yesterday. And uh, we spent two of the days celebrating and having a good time and uh, really enjoying it. And of course, I did see a lot of the negativity from certain people about this uh, great nation on this holiday, celebrating this great nation. And to them, I say, uh, well, I won't say exactly what I want to say, because you might be driving in the car with your kids, taking them to, I don't know where, to the beach, maybe? It's kind of early for the beach. Nobody's going to the beach this early. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. We had a great time on the 4th of July. I love the 4th of July. It's one of my favorites. Um, I don't like a lot of holidays, believe it or not. Not a big holiday person. Once my youngest moved to Florida, I kind of lost the love of celebrating holidays, um, at least the ones that she's not here for or I'm not there with her. I kind of have this, you know, stompy little attitude if I can't have both of my girls with me for a holiday. It's not a holiday. Um, I don't know if that's, maybe that's a bad attitude. I don't know. I just don't feel, I just don't enjoy celebrating it. And on top of that, I don't like the commercialism. Like, I don't want to be that guy, you know, who's complaining, uh, doing stomping her feet and going, oh, all the holidays are so commercialized. I, you know, I mean, they are, they definitely are. There's no question about it. People really lose sight of, um, you know, of the meaning of things, the real meaning, the real things that are, that matter, that are significant. So I, I kind of have a grudge against that. Like, I can't like, you know, you, you take all these Hallmark holidays, like Valentine's Day, you know, that's obviously the first one that comes to mind. And, you know, you put all this pressure on this one day on typically guys, you know, let's face it, it's typically men who feel the most pressure on Valentine's Day to, you know, buy the greatest gift, acknowledge their spouse or partner, um, you know, to a satisfactory degree that makes them feel uh, appreciated and loved and valued. And of course that costs a bunch of money because there's flowers and jewelry and dinners out and all this, stuff, all for a Hallmark holiday. It's silly to me. Um, I'm not a big things person. My husband is very lucky that way <laughs> that he does not have to, he does it. On it, he actually does it. He, he buys, uh, he buys me flowers on Valentine's Day. He does, he does the things. Um, but it's also with the understanding that it's actually okay if he doesn't. Um, cause my attitude, and I, I, I'm sorry if this annoys anyone, you know, who loves the gifts. I'm not criticizing you if you love the gifts and making a big deal of the holiday. I think that's great. If that's what you enjoy, I think it's fantastic. Nobody has to do what I'm doing. Um, but for me, I, you know, it's all about time. Everything for me is about time. And that's a thing that happens. And some of you can relate. That's a thing that happens as you get older. Time becomes the most valuable thing in your possession. 
like we don't even possess time, but you know what I mean? Uh, you know, your time, someone else's time, your loved one's time, them giving you time, you giving them your time is so incredibly valuable. You know, I'm a super scatterbrained person. I have like 500 things going on in my brain at one time. And I want to do everything five minutes ago. I have no patience whatsoever when I, you know, when I have ideas, when I, uh, I want to do something, uh, anything. And it's usually like 10 different things that I want to be doing. I want to be doing the podcast. I want to be cleaning the house. I mean, who wants to clean the house? But you know what I mean? Um, I want to be working on a book. I need to get back to writing. I want to do all of these things. And what is there never enough of? Time. You know, and add to that, I want to spend time with my husband. I want to spend time with my family. I want to spend time with my friends. And, you know, when you think of it like that, it's so freaking overwhelming how little time that we really have in life. And again, I'll repeat, the older you get, the more you realize how much your time matters. And, um, and that's not a bad thing. Like I know some people who are getting older, who are in my age bracket. I'm 50, by the way. I've I, I, I've said this like so many times that I'm 50. Um, clearly, I'm bragging about it, and I think it's great. I, I do. I, I marvel at it. You know, I remember being a little kid, wondering, you know, when am I ever going to get older? Well, here the hell I am, older, <laughs> and it's pretty damn good. I like it. You know, I'm aches and pains that I, I'd, I'd like, but um, you know, it's my own damn fault. I need to get up and move around more and get back into uh, the gym and do kickboxing again, which I'm going to start very soon, but I digress wildly. Um, yeah, time, man, time is the thing. And like I said, the older you get, the more you appreciate it, the more you value it, and the more you want to spend it where it is best used, right? And, you know, like I said, I have I have some friends who, and relatives, who the aging process freaks them the hell out. Like they see it as the end is approaching. And, you know, I mean, yeah, sure, that that's a thing. That's an acknowledgement that, you know, your time on earth is ever decreasing. Um, I, I guess I'm weird. I, I don't think about that very often, like almost never, maybe the older I get, maybe when I hit 60 uh, or 65 or 70 or whatever the number is going to be, maybe then, you know, mortality is really going to sink in. Um, but for me, it's really just value of time. Where will I spend, you know, these 24 hours that I've been given? Where can I best spend them? And, you know, the answer at this stage in life, and, and granted, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm actually kind of selfish in that way. I think I've always valued my time. I'm not saying that I always spent my time well. I'm definitely not saying that I always spend my time well now. Um, I I don't dare look at, you know, uh, I don't don't know if all of the social media apps, but I do know that Facebook and uh, TikTok both can and do and will track the amount of time that you spent, uh, spend on the apps. And, um, you know, you can monitor that and get some control over it. If you see like, oh my God, did I just really waste, you know, X amount of hours on this? Um, but I, I don't, <laughs> I don't look at it. I don't want to know how much time I waste on there. At some point I probably will look, 
Um, I'll have to, you know, cause come September, uh, I'm going to be making some, some big, big changes in life. And, um, you know, all of these endeavors, the podcast, the book writing, the acting, the social media entertaining, uh, the brand designing and building all of these things are things that I want to fit in a day. And maybe you can relate in the sense, like maybe you're not trying to do the same things that I'm doing, but maybe you have these plans and goals and ideas that have like been, been on your mind, been on the peripheral, maybe even, and you just keep putting them off because, because life, life is busy, man. And when you do get those breaks, when you get those times to like, I'm not even knocking the, um, zombie scroll, I call it. I don't think I coined that. I don't think that's original by any means. Somebody else probably said it and I'm just remembering it right now. So, um, I apologize to whoever came up with the term zombie scroll when, uh, referring to, uh, social media. And you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? When you have your phone in your hand and you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and kind of skimming what you're seeing and, you know, pausing at things that really catch your interest. And then scrolling again. That's what I'm talking about. The zombie scroll. Um, there is actually some value in I, in that, I think. And I don't want to discredit that because I think it's a good distressor and, or maybe, I don't know. It depends on what you're seeing on your newsfeed on these social media apps. I tend to put things. Um, so I follow, I'll explain better. I like to, we'll use Facebook as the example. I like to follow things like Good News Network, um, you know, uplifting, um, inspiring pages and content that um, will will help me maintain a good mood and a good mindset and a good mental outlook on things. So that's like when I scroll, that's the things that tend to come up first, along with like friends and family posts, you know, things that they post. Um but most of my feed is really things like that. And of course, it's sprinkled with um, the political stuff, um, you know, probably too much of it because I kind of do have to keep some track of it because if I talk about it, I got to know what I'm talking about, right? I have to have some clue. Um, but, you know, for me, I'm getting very comfortable in my lane, like knowing what my lane is and I, I watch all these shows and I listen to all these programs, you know, um, everybody on the daily wire, of course. And I should, I guess I shouldn't say, of course, it's of course to me. It's not necessarily of course to you, but I watch those shows and I listen to them and, um, you know, a whole bunch of other ones too. And I realize that, you know, gosh, I, I admire them so much, you know, their wealth of knowledge and understanding of these topics. It, it's like, it makes my brain hurt, to be honest with you, like how much they know and understand about all this. And the truth is, I I don't understand all of it. And a lot of it is way out of my my league. And I suppose if I devoted enough attention to it, yeah, sure, I could be as educated as they are in these things. But, you know, I, I've started coining myself as the Cliff Notes version of these topics. Um, and if you're way younger than, than me listening to this, uh, first of all, I'd be surprised, but, uh, thank you if you are, but, um, I, 
Uh, Cliff Notes, uh, what I was going to tell you is that Cliff Notes is like a thing we use. Now they have something else. I forget what it's called. I just saw it the other day, but it's the same idea. All it is is the condensed version. Like Cliff Notes were the condensed versions of books. So if you, if you were a teenager and you had a book report due, do you guys still have book reports? I don't even know. Um, and you had a book report due and you were crunched for time because you didn't read the book because you were a slacker like me and you needed that story in a condensed quick form. Well, they had cliff notes and it would just give you all the highlights of the book, all the talking points and most important things about it so that you could pass off, um, you know, your pseudo knowledge (laughs) in a book report. Um, and I tend to do that for social and political commentary. And the other thing I love, you know, when watching people like, uh, Greg Gutfeld and, uh, louder with Crowder and all of them. And, and they're, of course, way more in depth, but they also bring comedy with their commentary. And I'm a big, huge fan of that. If you don't know already, comedy and satire is my lane. <laughs> That's my happy place. That's where I love to be. I do lots of, uh, satire videos on good old TikTok, which have been shared over, uh, to the other social media apps and which is a, you know, it's so much fun and it's also so surreal. Um, just over this past week, I, uh, it's, I feel so dorky saying this phrase, but I went viral. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It, it still blows my mind when, when words like that come out of my mouth. But yes, I, uh, I guess I, I went viral this past week. Thanks to Michael Knowles from the Daily Wire. And, um, who else? Uh, it was all over the place. My, it was my, uh, impression of Kamala Harris. Uh, this is it right here. Hang on. I'll play it for you. If you wake up, okay, and don't want to smile, if it takes a little while, okay, uh, listen, open your eyes okay and look at the day okay you gotta look at the day <laughs> you do <laughs> and listen you'll see things in a different way okay um listen full stop don't stop thinking about tomorrow okay don't stop because it'll soon be here, okay? <laughs> it'll soon be here. <laughs> yeah. It'll be here better than before. Okay. Yesterday's gone. Yesterday's gone. Okay. It's gone. <laughs> and listen, full stop. It is gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's one of the Kamala Harris impressions that I do over on TikTok. And um, some fine folks over on Twitter got a hold of it. And it just spread like a wildfire throughout, of course, throughout the conservative community. The, the, uh, the liberal side, the leftist side does not find me nearly as entertaining. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so it went from like Michael Knowles, to uh, Stephen Crowder, to Mike Huckabee, to Not the Bee, and uh, a whole ton of other um, platforms and outlets. I ended up doing uh, an interview with J.D. Rucker, uh, 
and Christian Toto. And um, boy, they were so nice, so lovely. You know, it's a little scary when you do interviews um, with people that you don't know. And um, they really could take that interview and use it to mock the hell out of you if they so chose. And you can't do a damn thing about it, really. But um, they were very, very gracious. The articles, articles were so lovely and so flattering and so great. And um, um, yeah, pardon me while I brag about that whole experience. I'm, I'm ecstatic over it. And um, I'm hoping that that will open some other doors, some other really cool doors. And I think that it will. I think that it will. Got some fun things going on. Um, I got a small film role coming up. I have uh, a, I did a bit or a sketch or a skit, whatever you like, would like to call it. Uh, I think in the biz, we call it a bit. <laughs> and that was for a, a little um, fledgling sketch comedy show called That Show Tonight. And uh, they're going to be airing that soon. I was actually supposed to go out there and um, be on the show, be on the live show, which I would have loved. That would have been a great, uh, nerve-wracking, terrifying but great experience to have done that. Uh, but things didn't work out that way in which I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And, you know, it was one of those moments and this took me a long time to get to this mental state of, um, accepting things as they are and not for what I want them to be. And that was one of those moments where, in the moment when I got the phone call from the producer, he was like, Hey, Elsa, uh, how you doing? I could tell in his voice right away, he was building up to like bad news. And, uh, he said, uh, listen, we're, um, we've, we've got some scheduling issues here. We think that between the filming that we're doing, the recording that we're doing to, uh, Thursday, which was the day before I was going to be heading over there, um, we think that the recording we've got set for that day and for the day of the show is going to be, you know, an enough or too much content or whatever. And we've got a band that's going to be playing. So between all of that, we think uh, we're going to have you, if you're willing, record a bit for us and we'll include it. Um, but having you come out, it would be just a waste of your time, I think, and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like this whole thing. And um, I had this, you know, uh, understandable wave of disappointment and, you know, a little ego pride hurt <laughs> because, you know, you want to think that you're important enough to make the cut. And that was not the case. So we'll call that a humbling moment, right? And go with that. But right after I hung up, the phone right after I got off the phone with him, I kind of went, you know what? That's okay. There's a reason for everything. There's a reason for that. And, uh, you know, and I'm just going to accept that and, and move on and be okay with it. You know, and either a different opportunity will come along or that same opportunity will come, come at a point where it's the right time for me. And, um, so yeah, so a couple days goes by and wouldn't you know it, my daughter breaks her ankle over the weekend and, um, she's, you know, she's pretty laid up. She's, she's hurting pretty bad and she's going to need surgery and all of this stuff. But had I, um, kept that commitment, I would have, I would have been able to not go. 
because I would, I would of course want to stay home with my daughter who's, uh, you know, she's an adult. Um, but still she, you know, is on her own. So she needs, she needs us. And, uh, so as soon as that happened, I swear to you that I was like, you know what? I, I feel like God was like, no, you know what? You can't do this right now because something else has come down the wire that you're going to be needed for. And that is, you know, more important, which is, you know, your, your hurting kid. And, uh, so sure enough. And I was like, okay, that's why we trust. That's why we trust in, uh, you know, it's, I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with faith or with religion or with God. Um, so call it the universe if you want. Um, I think you have to trust in the, the universe's plan. I call it God's plan. Um, but you have to trust in that and know that, uh, if a door did not open for you, it probably wasn't your door, <laughs> right? I, I think that's like the best way to look at it. And um, at least for me, it is. It, it keeps me um, from, I don't know, going down negative roads, I think. I, I, I That's what I think. I, I could be wrong. I don't think I am, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm taking back that last part. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. I feel confident in that. I feel confident that, um, there is God's plan for us. And, uh, you know, if we stay the course, it doesn't mean we're going to have an easy life. It doesn't mean that everything is going to come our way that we want. Um, but I think if you're staying true to yourself and staying true to what's right for you and your family and all of those things, then I think the right things are always getting put in your path. It's, you know, we have free will. So it's up to us whether we choose the path that's meant for us, I, I think. So that's what I'm going with because that makes me feel good and positive and all of those things. And isn't that kind of like what living a good life is all about, right? That's my attitude. That's my story and I'm sticking to it, folks. So anyhow, so as usual, I strayed like really, really far from where we started. We started talking about we, who's we, right? I'm just talking in your face this whole time. I started off talking about the 4th of July, um, which was just yesterday and over the weekend. Um, I hope you had a really nice weekend and that you did celebrate the greatest country on earth, the United States of America. Um, if you haven't guessed, I am a patriot to my core. I love this country. I love everything that it stands for. I am of the mindset that anyone who doesn't feel the same way should get the bleep out. You don't like it? Get out. Go. Go try out one of these other countries <laughs> that you think is so great. That's so much better. Go live there and you tell me what you think after that. Tell me how great that is compared to here. Um, you are more than welcome to it, but yeah, I don't really, I don't really tolerate anyone disparaging this country, uh, or the men and women who fought for this country, uh, especially them, especially them. Nobody can say squat. Boy, it's hard for me not to swear. I got to tell you, it's a uh, really tough for me not to swear. Um, so yeah, so we celebrated, uh, with friends and that was a uh, really, really great enjoyed that very, very much. Um, and now it's back to business, right? You get back to work on Tuesday. Um, I'm guessing that you're either listening to this on your drive into work 
or maybe if you work from home as you're getting ready to do your things, get your day started. At least that's what I'm hoping. I mean, that's what I'd like. That's my goal. I want to talk to you guys while you're doing your thing. We can just have this nice little chat. Hopefully my voice is soothing. I don't know if it is or not. This is my morning voice. This is about as good as it's going to get. Uh, I probably, do I sound like a, like a three pack a day smoker? <laughs> I hope not. I did smoke once upon a time, many years ago. We're going, uh, I think we're, let's see, I think we might be hitting 20 years. Oh, this month is actually the anniversary. July 29th. I'm drawing a blank on the year. July 29th, I was 29 years old. And um, I, right? Yeah, I, was, I think that's right. Yeah, I was 29 years old. And it was, you know, one of those epiphany moments. I was either walking into the store to buy a pack of cigarettes, or I was walking into the store to buy like, you know, one of those smoking cessation, uh, aids, you know, like the gum or the patch. I don't even know if the patch was a thing back then. I, I was, the, the gum was definitely, I think I was thinking the, the gum that I was going to try that. And, um, I swore up and down that I didn't know which one it was going to be. I did not know consciously which one I was going to grab when I walked into the store. And, uh, I ended up leaving with the gum. And I ended up, I, I think I used, like, I think I, I took out, like, one piece of the gum, and that was it that I used. I didn't like it, I guess. I don't remember. Um, but I also, I guess I just decided that cold turkey was the way for me. And uh, I remember very distinctly. I, I can see it in my head right now. I walked out onto, because I never smoked inside the house. I had two young children and, you know, didn't really smoke around them or not close to them ever and certainly never in the car or in the house. And uh, I went out on the the back deck with my ashtray and my cup of coffee and that one last cigarette that was in the pack and my lighter. And, uh, I sat out there and it was early morning before the kids woke up, before anybody was awake in the house. And I was out there listening to the birds out in the morning and it was a beautiful morning this month, July. And, um, I remember lighting the cigarette. I remember staring at it. I remember staring at it for several minutes, knowing it was the last one. I lit it. I smoked it all the way down to the filter, all the way down to the filter. And then I, you know, stomped it out in the, the, the ashtray ashtrays. My God, does anybody still have an ashtray? I don't even, there's no, I never see ashtrays. And, uh, I put on a full pot of coffee, like another full pot of coffee. And for the next, like, three days, I think I was drinking like a pot of coffee a day. Uh, no joke, 12 cups of coffee <laughs> as my substitute addiction and everything. I remember this weird thing about it. Everything was measured in threes. It was like the first three hours, the first three days, the first three weeks, you get the idea and so on. And, um, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I had tried to quit a couple other times in the past and failed. And this time it stuck. And, you know, here we are, um, a lot of years later and I still, and I can't even fathom smoking right now. Like the idea of it is so beyond me. And the funniest part of that story is not long before I quit, I would say within a year, within the year of quitting, I distinctly remember saying to someone, um, 
that I would never quit smoking. I love it too much. I love it. And it was a security blanket for me. You know, it was, it was a, obviously a habit. It was a, just as much as a, of a, a physical habit as it was an emotional habit. Cause I started smoking really young. I was like, I'm so embarrassed to tell you this, but I was like 12 when I started smoking and, um, you know, pseudo smoking technically, like we didn't know what we were doing. We were stealing our parents' cigarettes from their, uh, packs, you know, while they were, it was the seventies by the way. Um, so, you know, they'd, they'd be playing cards in the apartment and, uh, you know, we were kids, kids back then, like, you know, our job was to go outside and play until the street lamps come, came on. And then we had to get inside and, you know, eat dinner and get washed up and get to bed. But yeah, it wasn't like, you know, today where, you know, parents are like always on the floor playing with their kids and constantly entertaining them. You know, we entertained ourselves and, uh, you know, obviously we got into some trouble, some stuff and things, and that was one of them. But yeah, I started really young. So I, I was a longtime smoker. And once I figured out how to smoke properly, you know, how to inhale the, the, the cigarette smoke, um, then that's when the addiction truly kicked in. So I was addicted during like those formative years, you know, and you're developing your identity, who you are, um, how you behave, what you think. So smoking, having a cigarette in my hand became kind of like a, you know, a crutch basically. You know, that was, if you're happy, have a cigarette. If you're sad, have another one. If you're anxious, you know, it was, it was the excuse for every single thing. And, uh, I knew when I quit, I knew that it was just a matter of, I'm no longer going to allow an external object, a thing control my life. And, you know, so that was, that was that story. Um, where did that story come from and why? I don't know. I kind of only loosely plan out what I want to talk about for these shows, just so you know. So they can go anywhere. I um I just want to forewarn you, going forward, I don't really know what we're going to talk about. Like I said, I put some bullet points down. I put down a topic, and wherever the heck, how about that, heck I said, wherever the heck it goes, it goes. So bear with me, and hopefully this is, you know, in the in the intro there, says something about inform, entertain, and, uh, something else. What? Inform, entertain, uh, oh, motivate. Motivate was the other one. So hopefully we're, you know, hitting those, <laughs> hitting those important things. Uh, hopefully. So let's use the motivation here. Hopefully if you are a smoker or you have some type of, uh, habit or addiction, maybe that story with any luck will motivate you to, to quit or to change your habits. I, I don't know. Do I have that kind of influence? I, I wouldn't dare, uh, suggest that I do, but hopefully my story does inspire you a little bit. I, I can tell you, I still to this day will just randomly take like a really deep breath and think, ah, I can breathe. It, and it's such a weird thing because, you know, if you've ever been a smoker, if you ever, even if you haven't been a smoker, if you've ever been in a, you know, smoke filled room, I'm sure that's happened to everybody at some point, whether it's like cigarette smoke or, um, you know, something's burning smoke um, and you can't take a deep breath. You can't get a deep breath in. And that's how I always think back of my smoking years that I could never take a really good, strong, deep breath. And now I can. And it's such a joy to be able to do that. I, I, I think that's, you know, it's literal and it's metaphorical too, really. 
So yeah, being able to just take those deep breaths and breathe is, um, it's really impactive. It's really powerful. So if you can't do that, if you've got some emotional obstacle or some physical obstacle that is keeping you from taking that metaphorical and literal deep breath, then, you know, that means it's time for some type of change, right? And obviously, let me state the obvious, if you have some kind of condition that is simply not going to allow you to do that, I mean, that's obviously a whole other story. And, uh, you know, I'm really sad and sorry for your circumstances if that's the case. But for the general population, you know, we have these things that are holding us back and keeping us from taking those metaphorical deep breaths and taking those leaps of faith in, in ourselves. And, you know, like I said, the, the cigarettes were a crutch. They were like almost, um, uh, my buffer between me and the world. I, you know, I was a, along with being an introvert, I'm always an introvert and people always confuse, uh, introvertedness with shyness and they're two totally different things. Um, but I was both growing up. I was introverted and shy. So that was the double whammy. So it was very difficult for me in social situations. It's still, I still internally struggle with social situations. Like I just simply rather not. (laughs) Um, and, and I know, and you know, now I know now in adulthood, I know that so many people struggle with that, that that is not, that's not weird or unusual. And the reasoning, a lot of it is, is because we're so far inside our own heads, our own um, thoughts about ourself and how we're being perceived by others that we can't really focus on them. So I try and be a little cognizant of that when I'm doing that and get the hell out of my own head and focus in on the person. And I'll tell you, every time that I get myself to do that, Every time I get myself out of my own head and my own, you know, what are they thinking of me right now? How am I presenting right now? Uh, do they like me? Blah, 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 all that garbage. The minute I take my mindset out of that and go to the, how are they feeling? What's going on in their head? It changes the whole dynamics of the conversation. They can feel it. People can truly feel when you're genuine and invested in what they're saying. And I'll tell you, it, it is, it is a special feeling when you realize that you've connected with somebody and that you've given them something, which is, oh my goodness, I'm so proud of myself for unintentionally bringing this full circle back to time. When you are truly giving someone your time and, of course, attention, you know you can feel that impact on them, and that in turn benefits you. So, you know, when you are giving your time to someone, you are actually getting something back. I mean, you're you're getting their um, you're getting their time, of course, and you're getting um, the joy of knowing that you've impacted someone and you've made someone's day or minute or hour better than it was before because they're being paid attention attention to. And, um, you know, the biggest thing that people want in life is to be heard, to be seen and to be heard. 
And when you give that to someone else, um, it's highly, highly rewarding for me because most of my shows, like 95% of my podcast shows, uh, that's the evening version of this, which has been going on longer than this. This is literally, by the way, welcome to day one of, uh, I think we're calling it in the morning with Elsa. Why not? Um, but, uh, this is the first morning of this style, um, podcasting that I'm doing. This is all audio. So the other show I record video and audio and it goes up on YouTube and all of that stuff. So you can see the, the person behind the microphone. And, uh, for those ones, I actually do my hair and put on makeup, but for this, um, I look like a train wreck right now. And, uh, I, I am perfectly good with that because I'm not on camera. So that's a big difference from the usual show. But the usual show, I do interview style and um, I interview people who are in, in, in my universe and that I want to bring to your universe. So I interview a lot of people that are uh, part of or helping the first responder family. That's, of course, law enforcement and uh, firefighters, anyone who is a first responder first responders, sorry, and um, our veterans and our active military people and our patriots. So anyone who's in any of those lanes, that's really who that show is geared towards. Um, I speak to authors. I speak to mental health specialists. I speak to all these incredible I talk to some politicians. Um, I talk to lots of really, really great people who are making a difference in the world. And I get to be the medium that brings those people to you. So if you have not checked out that show, if this is all brand new to you and you're like, who the hell is this lady? And what's her deal? What's going on here? That's the deal. That's what's going on. And um, that's kind of what I do. That's my lane. That's my happy place, really. I have, I have several happy places. So let's, let's do a backwards introduction here, okay? We start off the show with close to zero introduction. We just jumped right in because I had the audacity to assume that you knew who I was. You probably don't, because I really, honestly, I got to be honest with you, I came out of the woodwork. Hang on, I got to take a sip of my coffee. Yeah, I kind of sort of came out of the woodwork. Um, I was an author. I still am. I'm still an author. But uh, I started off in this arts and entertainment world as an author. And um, that's a fun story. You want to hear that story? Even if you don't, I'm going to like give you the, the Cliff Notes version of that story. Uh, my husband, I've always wanted, I would always wanted to be a writer. Always. I was a big, big, big bookworm. Love to read. Love great imagination. I would like dream entire movies in my head as a kid. And, um, I always wanted to write a book, but you know, life was in the way and insecurities and self-doubt and fear and all of those things, you know, lived large in my head. And one night my husband and I were out to dinner and we were talking, we were having one of those conversations. We were talking about our, our goals and our dreams and, um, unfulfilled things like things that are still on the proverbial bucket list. And I said to him, uh, well, you know what? I, I've always wanted to write a book. And, uh, he leaned across the table and he looked me in the eye and he said, so just do it. <laughs> kidding, kidding you not. That is what he said. And for some reason that was the, that was the Kickstarter right there that it was like, I don't know, somebody whose opinion 
and thoughts and ideas mattered to me kind of gave me the green light. Did I need my husband to give me permission to write a book? Of course not. That is not what I mean by that at all. Um, his words released something in me that allowed, allowed me to allow myself to pursue this dream, you know, come what may. And, uh, so I did. So I was like, um, I think I was either, I think I was like 40. Yeah, I think I was 40. Yeah, so, cause I'm only on like 10 years of this leg of the journey, um, of all of these arts and entertainment things. But that was the starting point. And, um, I wrote a book. It was a children's book. It was called, um, look outside your window. It's cute little rhyming book. Very sweet. I'm very proud of it. Um, is it the best book out there? <laughs> of course not, but it's a charming, sweet book and it's a goal accomplished. It was uh, something I said I wanted to do and I did it. And that was uh, tremendous for my self-confidence. And it also opened the floodgates. Um, I thought when I did that, I thought it was going to be like a one and done. I'll write this book. I'll accomplish this goal. I'll move on to something else because I can say, well, now I did it. But then what do you know? I needed to write more. I had, you know, stories in my head that wanted to be told. And there was one in particular that um, I had started many times in the past. I had actually, at one point in life, I'd gotten pretty far in the manuscript writing of a particular story. And, um, you know, like many other things in, in my life, I set it aside. I gave up on it and set it aside and threw it in a drawer and uh, kind of forgot about it. And um, this experience, writing this little short children's book, reawakened that story in my mind. And I sat down to write it again. And uh, I did. And uh, it was a novel. It, it still is a novel. It's been revised uh, several times since the original because it truly, deeply, profoundly needed it um, from my novice first time novelist days. Uh, and that book is called Into the Everwood. And I love that story. I love it so, so much, um, probably because it's my first novel. And it, there was, you know, all the cringeworthy stuff that the first version of that and even the second and third version of that book were not nearly as good as they could have and should have been. Um, but it was all brand new and, uh, you know, it was a great learning experience. And I've grown um, consistently as a writer with each book. And I, I would say, I, I would say that my, I, my skills have, it vastly improved from the books. And I think if you were to read them in order, I think you would agree. I hope you would agree. I think the stories were solid. Books are solid. Stories are solid. Could have benefited, you know, from maybe a little, little bit more eyes on the stories to help me flesh out certain things. Probably it can always be better. Like you'll never truly be 100. If you're an author, if you're a writer, you're never going to hundred percent be truly completely satisfied. And that's just the nature of the beast. Um, we are our own worst critics and we, we never are truly happy with it. If I were to reread, you know, the last time that I revised into the Everwood, when I finished, I said, this is the best possible version of this book. It, I can't improve on it anymore. Like I, I work so hard at revising and improving this book and that was, you know, a couple few years ago. If I were to pull it out now again, 
and do the same process, I would be, you know, finding more mistakes, more things that could have been written better. That's just the way it is. So I try and stay away from it. I try and and leave it alone. And, um, you know, if there's going to be harsh criticism of those um, books, you know, well, it's probably deserved and that's okay. I'm tough. I can handle it. That was, you know, I'll tell you what, this has been one of the biggest lessons of this whole journey into this world that I'm in now. When I started, I had no idea if I could handle criticism or meanness, you know, because once you put yourself out there uh, as anything, as an author, as an entertainer, as a comic, as anyone in the public eye open for public consumption, there, we all know this, I'm preaching to the choir, there are some mean ass people out there and they're going to, they're going to cut you down it, just because they can. And I did not know how I would react to things like that. And I, you know, so once I did that, I also branched out, like it just opened, you know, the authorship thing opened this whole huge floodgate. It opened a dam really of this need to, uh, be in this lane, to be in this lane, to do these things. And, you know, my husband's a, a long time, very long time police officer. He's a, a veteran of the Gulf War. And as a police spouse, I became very vocal in my small circle, you know, just my little tiny sphere of influence, shall we say. And, uh, I was very vocal in defense of the good men and women of law enforcement. Of course, we don't defend the, the losers, the people who don't represent the badge. That's different. Um, but I was a huge and vocal defender uh, of our first responders. And that started growing too. My voice. I guess, you know what? I think that sums it up. My voice. I found my voice. That really kind of probably sums up everything, uh, of my personal journey here. Uh, I found my voice and I discovered that I was not afraid of backlash. I'm not afraid of criticism. I'm not afraid of pointless meanness directed at me. Um, none of it phases me. I don't like it. I don't welcome it. I don't encourage it. Um, but it's in its perspective and and I'll tell you what that perspective is because no matter what lane you're, you're in, no matter what you do, I, I don't care if you're, uh, an accountant, a teacher, uh, an actor, I don't care what lane you're in. I think this advice applies to all of us. And it's really two things that I learned, um, from other very wise people. And one of them is, other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And I actually mean that for both good and bad. Like I absolutely, I'm not going to deny it. I love praise. I love the accolades. I love when people comment all of the wonderful, beautiful things that they say in the comment section of my TikTok videos. Um, I love that. It makes my heart happy and it does make me feel good. Um, but the irony of that is for a time I would read all of those and I would think, oh, that's so nice. Oh, that makes me feel so good. And then I would read one negative comment and that's the comment I would dwell on, you know, so that's a problem. That's definitely a problem when, you know, you get all this positive feedback and you're only dwelling on the one negative thing that somebody had to say. So, you know, that was the start of the eye opener that, wait a minute, what's wrong with me that I can only focus on 
the negative comments, you know, that are not helpful, they're hurtful. So why would I concentrate on that instead of the positive things? But when you start developing a mindset of other people's opinions are none of my business, uh, you start focusing in on your, whatever your task is, your task, your craft, your whatever it is, and you get more focused on what really matters to you instead of what matters to everyone else. Because if I started making content um, that was, a, you know, some, this person suggested, if somebody said to me, oh, you should be doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Well, there's definitely going to be somebody else that says you should be doing that. And another person and another person, another person. And then you're living and existing by other people's opinions and not being true to yourself and not seeking what matters to you because you're too busy trying to please everyone else. And you already know the results of that. You've been alive on this earth long enough to know that you can't please everyone. You know, you just can't. So you have to do what you believe in your heart is right and best and true. And, you know, my rule of thumb is as long as what I do isn't harming, you know, hurting anyone else, then it's not their, it's not their business. It's not their thing. You know, I absolutely 100% hope that I reach people who can benefit from whatever I have to say, whether it's by entertaining them or informing them or inspiring them or uplifting them, any of those things. That is my hope. That's my goal because that's what feels good to me. Like that's what makes my heart happy. So that's what I'm going to do. Whether somebody agrees with it or not, that's fine. You know, I had somebody, um, and it's been actually more than once, you know, and I, like I said before, I'm very vocal in the law enforcement, um, advocacy lane. And I had a woman who is more on the liberal side of the aisle, uh, whereas obviously I'm more on the conservative side. Uh, I had her come at me on social media with, uh, you know, you don't speak for all of us and you don't speak for women, blah, blah, blah. You know, she's just kind of went on the attack because she doesn't like me. She doesn't like what I have to say. She doesn't like the lane that I'm in. And, um, you know, and I did respond. Normally I don't respond to hostile, negative people, but this merited a response. So, uh, I did respond to her and, and I, um, um, corrected her, which is to say, which I say right pretty much smack in the beginning of my book for law enforcement families, which is called, of course, I'm going to plug the book. It's called uh, Welcome to the Family, Life Behind the Thin Blue Line. And one of the things that I say early on and more than once throughout the book that I don't speak for everyone. I don't believe that I speak for everyone. It's not my job. It's not my right. It's not my place to speak for who the heck could speak for everyone. It's so absurd to even think that for a minute. And I never have. Um, I speak for myself. And, um, I, I think that I probably do speak for some people in the law enforcement family lane. And that's who my book is for. That is who these conversations are for. These are for the people that, um, that feel that they, what I say resonates with them. I couldn't think of a way to phrase that, but that's what I'm trying to say. If what I have to say resonates with you, then it's for you. And if it doesn't, it's not for you. And that's okay. Um, I'm not for everybody. I'm not everybody's cup of tea for heck's sake. <laughs> and that's fine. I have no ambitions to be. Um, 
you know, it really is, you know, you always hear people like me say things like, if I reach one person, then, then it was all worth it. And that is the case. If, uh, you know, if there's one person out there that hears this broadcast, that reads my book, that watches one of my videos, whatever, if it brightens your day, if it helps your, um, mindset, you know, any of those things, mission accomplished. Life is good. I'm, I'm thrilled. And, uh, I can sit comfortably in that feeling because I'm doing this for what I believe to be the right reasons with a good heart, with good intentions, with good hopes. Um, and you know, maybe there's some cynic out there listening saying, Oh yeah, she's just trying to make a buck. Oh yeah, I am trying to make a buck. You're damn right. I'm trying to make a buck. I'm trying to make a living. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to make it so, uh, my husband can retire. I'm trying to make it so my family doesn't have to really think about money very often. Um, is that going to happen from this? Mm, I don't know. It could, it could, but it, let's, I'll just say it won't be for lack of trying. So yes, I am absolutely 100% trying to make a living off of what I do. How weird, right? To try and make a living off of doing what you love to do. If I get criticized for that, I, I, I welcome it. Go for it. Knock yourself out. Um, but yeah, back to that advice I was trying, trying to tell you, and I segued once again, um, other people's opinions are none of your business. Don't pay attention to them. If you're doing everything for the right reasons, um, for the good of yourself and your family, not, not your concern, what they think of you. And, uh, the other thing is, um, and this is huge, huge, huge. Cause I think it is a life changer once you accept it and acknowledge this and understand it and believe it. Um, happy people don't try and hurt other people. Okay. If somebody is being mean to you, like being rotten and for senseless for no reason whatsoever. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a monster, if you're a terrible person, if you're like a rapist or a murderer and all these things and people are criticizing you and being mean to you, uh, yeah, you kind of deserve it. <laughs> That's a whole different lane. Uh, if you do, if you're doing terrible things and people are coming at you for, yeah, you deserve it. Uh, own it, bud. But if you are just living your life, trying to make a living, trying to make people happy, trying, you know, trying to do all the good things and people are being mean to you, especially mean on the internet. Um, who the hell cares really? Because anyone who takes the time to try to purposely, intentionally deliberately hurt another person that has nothing to do with you. And I don't care if they're coming at you with personal attacks. If somebody comes up to you and says, you are so ugly. Um, yeah, they're talking about you to you. Yes, granted, of course, but that has nothing to do with you. That has to do with, uh, some really deep ugliness inside of them. And, uh, they, they deserve your pity, but they don't deserve your time not even an ounce of your time, your mental time, your literal time. Um, do not give them time in your brain because they don't deserve it. They're not worthy of that. So, uh, other people's opinions are none of your business and happy people don't try and hurt other people. And once you understand that that comes from a deep well of self-dissatisfaction, you can really put their, um, opinions into perspective, right? 
Um, yeah, I mean, we went, we went all over the place here, guys, all over the place. And, and that's okay. That's what you're going to have to come to expect from this show. Um, today we just talked about such random things. Today we talked a lot about me. That's not going to always be the case. This was kind of like a, an intro for those of you who don't actually know me and don't follow me and don't know all of the crazy things that I do. Um, but if you'd like to, you can find me on TikTok as the other Elsa. Um, that is where I have a really nice, nice, beautiful, um, group of people following my antics. And I so greatly appreciate that. That is so kind. And if you'd like to join, join the masses, <laughs> that would be lovely. I'm the other Elsa over on TikTok and everything else. I am, uh, the Elsa Kurt show or Elsa Kurt show. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, uh, where else? I'm on Facebook, all of the things, all of the places I'm on Amazon. You can find me just about everywhere. And uh, I would love if you did, because, um, you know, why not? So tomorrow's show, totally different. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but we'll see. I'm going to, I'm going to check the headlines and see what's going on. We'll talk about it a little bit, have some fun together and, uh, hopefully start your day off well. And, um, you know, I kind of sort of not really apologize for the randomness of where this went, but I feel like I'm going to pat myself on the back here and say, I think I wrapped it up pretty well. I mean, I kind of brought it, brought it right back around. I mean, that's mad skill people. I'm kidding. Obviously totally kidding. Um, so listen, I hope you have an amazing day. You know what I like to say to my kids when they're younger? I always said, I never liked when somebody said, have a great day because I hate being told what to do. (laughs) Yeah. I'm that bad, that pig headed that I can't even take somebody telling me to have a good day. So what I always um, like to say instead is, um, I hope you make it a great day Um, because I think it's in your power to do that. All right. So any of the bad moments, don't let them make it a bad day for you. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully you can do that, but uh, I got your back. I'm here for you and uh, I appreciate you. So listen, I hope that you make it a great day. Take care. Thanks for listening to Elsa in the Morning. If you'd like to learn more about Elsa, go visit elsacurt.com.